We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, March 23rd, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, it's a big one, a full one this Friday. We're going to be joined by the VFW's legislative director, Carlos Fuentes. Now, the omnibus spending bill will probably be signed into law today or else the government shuts down. Now, we heard from AMVETS yesterday that they're not very happy with the bill due to several veteran-specific provisions that were removed from it. Today, we'll find out what the Veterans of Foreign Wars thinks about that. And later, we're going to talk to an amazing representative from disabled American veterans about their winter sports clinic that they've got going on. I mean, this is really a truly wonderful program that allows our disabled vets to realize not only is life not over, it may just be beginning for you out on the slopes and other places like that. So we are going to have Mick Dodo coming on to talk about their winter sports clinic. It's going to be pretty fantastic. That's actually co-sponsored by uh, and co-hosted by the Department of Veterans Affairs as well as Disabled American Veterans. So Winter Sports Clinic 2018, we're going to find out all about that and all about Mick coming up in just the next few minutes. So let's go ahead and get started. We're also hoping to have a guest come on uh, during the seven o'clock break, but he hasn't called in yet. So we'll see exactly what happens with that. In the meantime, let's take a look at what's happening around the world of veterans. Of course, big news, and he is, uh, well, is he a veteran or is he still serving on active duty? I believe he's still active. Speaking, of course, of General H.R. McMaster, who is soon to be the former National Security Advisor for the Trump administration, going to be replaced by John Bolton, not Michael Bolton, as one of our commenters on the Connecting Vets Facebook page was hoping and was incorrect about. He is out. Bolton is in as the National Security Advisor. What does that mean? Uh... I don't know. (laughs) You're asking the wrong person. I don't know what the difference between the two is. I'm not 100% certain what the National Security Advisor does besides advise on national security issues, which I suppose is a fairly generalized way of saying it and seeing it. But that is what he does. So again, H.R. McMaster, Army General, he is on the way out And John Bolton is on the way in to be President Trump's national security advisor. The omnibus spending bill, as I mentioned, most likely going to be passed through today. Because if it doesn't, the government shuts down, essentially, and nobody wants that to happen. So that omnibus spending bill is, uh, you know, it's going to be a... Good thing for veterans in some ways, not good in others. And of course, AMVETS Executive Director Joe Shinelli told us last week uh, that AMVETS was not happy after House Democrats blocked the inclusion of several veteran-specific provisions that he felt and the other VSOs agreed, and we're going to talk to the VFW about this in just a little bit, that this was going to be a... um, 
this was going to be a, a great sea change for veterans, where it was going to uh, it was going to, uh, in essence, um, change how choice works, change uh, the fact that pre nine eleven veterans aren't eligible for the same. Uh, care if they were disabled in the line of duty prior to September 11th, 2001. Um, it, it's it's a big issue, and it's one that, again, AMVET's not happy with. I know the VFW believes that there's some good stuff and some missing stuff from the omnibus spending bill. So uh, it, it's it's I think this is going to be a hot topic within the veteran and the VSO communities over the next uh, few weeks because if this gets approved today, uh, the president has to do it basically it's uh and it's looking like it will because nobody wants a a government shutdown although i was i was hearing as i drove in today did you know jake that during the reagan administration the government shut down eight different times really i had no idea eight times that's a lot that's more than the you know the one that we've had so far during president trump's administration or one and a half i guess there was that other yeah. time where it was like for a couple hours technically it was shut down um, that's all going on out in the world. And, uh, you know, we have a story up by our Jonathan Copanger who gives you, uh, an insight into what the $1.3 trillion omnibus spending bill includes. Uh, and he points out that veteran is used only 288 times in a 2000 page U S budget. I don't, I don't know exactly what that means <laughs> or, or what the, uh, what the, uh, you know how, how important that is that veteran is on, only used 288 times that means it's used on average once every i don't know nine pages eight pages something like that that would that would seem to be fairly often for me but i don't know i, I'm, I suppose there's uh other things that get mentioned a lot more but yeah the thing i'm reading about and i've seen this across uh, facebook and the internet and stuff is it doesn't seem like anyone's truly happy with this bill like, no, with uh, the exception had- of maybe Nancy Pelosi, who has said, <laughs> "quote The Democrats won." Oh, okay. I don't. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Uh, they got some things in that they wanted. The Republicans got some things in that they wanted. That's what the omnibus bills are about. They're about everybody putting in things that they think everybody can agree on so that they will get through. And every once in a while, they'll try to stick something in that gets out there. But, uh, you know, what Joe Shinelli was telling us yesterday is that he and AMVETS believe sincerely that the Democrats in the House removed the items that would have uh, most benefited veterans because they knew that they were going to vote against the omnibus, even though it would go through. They knew they were going to vote against it because they wanted to be able to to campaign on the fact like we uh, spoke out against the president's omnibus spending bill and blah, blah, blah. So they wanted to be able to do that. But if they did that and there were things that would be these massive positive changes for veterans in there, that looks bad that their opponents in the upcoming elections could use against them. So essentially the rationale and logic that they used is, well, if we block it from being in the bill, then we didn't vote no on it. Well, yeah, but you're also the ones who blocked it from being in the bill. And we know that you're the ones who blocked it from being in the bill. And that was AMVET's point yesterday. Like, hey, this is pretty transparent what you're doing. We see it. We recognize it. And we're going to hold you accountable. You can hear that whole interview with Joe Chanelli as well as a little write-up on it at ConnectingVets.com where you should be going, I don't know, Jake, 50, 60 times a day. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, minimum, really. You want to go there. And, of course, following us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Here's one that uh, is a little bit upsetting. 
There is a Navy wife gave birth to a, a baby back in 2003, her son Jacob. Well, Military Times is reporting that in 2003, the baby may have come out of her at Naval Hospital Jacksonville, but a broken needle from a, uh, what do they call it, the spinal tap when they give you that to, to help you uh, get through the pregnancy to give you the, the drugs and everything. Right. Needle broke off and they left it in there. Oh, oops. Yeah, doctors just found it. So this is 14 plus years ago. This The needle broke off during anesthesia at Naval Hospital Jacksonville. We've talked about Naval Hospital Jacksonville mm-hmm. on this show several times before. When I was stationed down in Jacksonville, I had to go there once. And they, uh, they were, I, when I went there one time for, I can't remember what it was for. I think I had hurt my arm doing something. And I went through, and they're looking at the wrong arm. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's my right arm. Why are you looking at my left they were horrible at giving people IVs. I know that because I had to get an IV when I went in there one time and uh, they like just missed. Oh, I don't know. I could give 13, you an IV right now. Times. How can a trained medical professional not be able to give you an uh, IV? I guess there's some question about exactly how much training uh, they, uh, they actually do over there. So after 14 years of pain and m- being misdiagnosed, Amy Bright found out in November 2017 from a CT scan that she took at Brook Army Medical Center, so the Army got it done down there in Texas, that there's a three-centimeter needle sticking out of her spine three-fourths of the way through a bone, causing permanent nerve damage. So she has had chronic left-sided sciatica, hip, and lower back pain for nearly a decade and a half after these doofuses at Naval Hospital Jacksonville, which honestly just shut it down. Shut the place down. You've had enough issues, and we only hear about the ones that are big enough to make the news. You can keep firing commanding officers and bringing in new people, but if the same things keep happening at this one location, I I just don't see the Why is it there? Well, because they can't shut it down because they need to have a medical facility. There are plenty of good hospitals in the Jacksonville area. Well, they have to have a military one. Why? Because it's the way the military works, man. See, I know, that's never I know, a good I know. excuse, you know? And it's not a good well, excuse. Well, that's the way it's always been done. Yeah, well, if this place, and we've had, there was back in 2000, oh boy, it was when I was there, so 2005-ish, 2000, I was there, 2005 to 2008, around 2005, uh, families were given permission to sue Naval Hospital Jacksonville because babies were dying there. I mean, this has been loss of life. This woman's had a decade and a half of pain. I've had hip and back issues before. Uh, having those for months is incredibly, incredibly irritating, frustrating, and impactful negatively on your life. 14 years because an anesthesiologist left a needle buried in your bone? Yeah, there's oh. there's no defense against the even even I who like to stick up for the military's healthcare system. I'm like, no, that's you are you have failed, good sir. This is uh, again, this hospital is, it's just it's just been for years. It's been an issue. It's been a severe issue for many years. We're dating back to what 15 years ago that I was there. Well, 13 years ago that I was there, I guess. And 13 years ago they had these issues. Uh, this was where the um, uh, the young Navy nurses, the corpsmen in the maternity ward were shooting videos with other people's babies, like giving that them the there? finger and stuff. This is all Jacksonville. If you hear about something negative happening at a hospital in the military, I'll be willing to bet dollars to donuts that it's Jacksonville, Florida is where it's taking wow. place. Naval Hospital Jacksonville is just a constant it's a constant crap show. I mean, I don't know how best to say it other than that, where it, 
we only hear about these major things. When I was down there, we would have minor things. I went in and had, uh, I was in a car accident in Jacksonville. It was shortly after I got there. I had driven up, I think just driven up to um, Burger King after work one day. I was like, you know what? I really want like a milkshake and a Whopper. So I went and got a milkshake and a Whopper, maybe a mile up the road from where I was living. And as I drove home, I stopped because a guy was slowing down to turn off the road in front of me. The guy behind me did not stop and I saw it coming and my back started hurting and I have back pain related to that for years that apparently from what chiropractors and other people told me, chiropractors, I, I don't know uh, how much of what they do is legitimate and how much of it is junk science. It appears that quite a bit of it is junk science when you do the research and it may be more of a, uh, a mental thing where you think that things are getting yeah, better the because placebo you, effect. Yeah, the placebo effect because you're hearing the cracks and the things like that and they're pulling on stuff. Um, but I've had other doctors tell me like, oh, yeah, no, this is the issue. And and this is uh, we can fix this. But when I was in Jacksonville, they were just like, oh, there's there's no nobody who can say what the problem with your back is. Soon as I left Jacksonville, they're like, oh, OK, yeah, we're going to give you this medication. It's going to cause the swelling there to go down. So for three years, I had this swelling in my back from a car accident. I mean, we knew there was a car accident. We knew where the pain was. The hospital at Jacksonville just, well, we don't know. Could be maybe it's maybe it's ghosts. Have you considered have you considered that it might be ghosts that are giving you the pain? No, doctor. If that is the your doctor is a nineteen sixties Scooby Doo villain. Yeah, basically. And I would have gotten away for it if it wasn't for you kids. The uh, and then as soon as I left there, so two thousand eight, I went to uh, where did I go? Two thousand five to two thousand eight, I was in Jacksonville, and from there I went to Suda Bay, Crete, and had a friend who worked at medical there, and went over, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, this is all you need. Just take these anti-inflammatories. That's going to cause the swelling to go down, and your your essentially my spine had been swollen and pinched, and there was a nerve that was being pinched that caused it to be inflamed, that caused my spine to almost like bend a little bit to get around the pain because my body was reacting. Within a few months of taking this stuff regularly, uh, everything." loosened up and start started up again to the point where I could actually run again and start doing things like that, which is where uh, I put on a little bit of weight when I was down in Jacksonville because I <laughs> couldn't run anymore. I couldn't do it. And I, I actually failed a PRT and the captain, the commanding officer was like, I don't understand why this is happening. You play hockey four times a week. You're active. You do stuff. And But I would tell him, like, dude, about halfway through the mile and a half, my leg and back and hip just seize up, and I can't do anything. So he sent me to a specialist up at Kings Bay, Georgia. Uh, they saw me up there. That helped a little bit. And then Suda Bay, when I was stationed there, that helped even more. But Jacksonville was just a clown show, man. It was like you, you could hear the circus music. When you went in there, every time I had to go to that hospital, I wondered if I would be coming out. <laughs> that's basically one way that I would put it. And uh, they may think, well, that's an exaggeration. Yeah, only slightly, though. I mean, there there were a lot of negatives about the place and very few positives during my time there. And uh, I didn't have anything as bad as this Navy wife, Amy Bright, who uh, had a, a, a needle left in her spine. A bleeding needle stuck in her back for 14 yeah. years. She had a C-section in 2003. Now, that's the same kind of birth that we had. Um, uh, and my wife had the had an issue where the the spinal tap, like the, the drugs to get in there, the needle moved, and it, did, it wasn't where it was supposed to be, so they stopped having any effect. And that's when we decided to go ahead with the C-section because she was in so much pain. But... You know, when uh, Amy Bright is quoted by Military Times here, I, I think the quote 
lets people understand that, oh, yes, her story is legit. Because she says, for years they were saying, here, take this Motrin, have this back patch. <laughs> and every year it gets worse and worse, the burning. She said constant leg pain makes it difficult to sleep, difficult to sit. I mean, the, yeah, Motrin, 800 milligrams of Motrin. Um, uh, the, the, there's uh, so many issues just uh, taking place within the medical community um, and, uh, and, and a lot of stuff that people need to keep an eye on, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, medical malpractice. And this comes back to the issue that we've also had with the VA and people wanting the VA, uh, shut down, uh, people wanting the VA. I'm sorry. I just got a little bit distracted. You see, my son is in here with us today and I thought I just saw a little blonde head go running that you way, did. So. He did. A, he did a lap around the 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 line of desks, and oh. now he's back watching cartoons. Okay, well, good. So yeah, we've got eight minutes until Jake can go out and make sure he's able to keep an eye on him because this whole building could come crumbling down if uh, if he's left. Uh, yeah, eight minutes until I have to parent your son. <laughs> Essentially, if, yeah, for the next uh, <laughs> for the next hour or so. But yet, you know, eight hundred milligrams of Motrin, baby. Yeah, That'll don't forget to change all. your socks. Yeah, you know, the Navy corpsman telling the Marine, like, who comes up to him, like, my foot, my foot's hanging by a thread. You'll be fine. 800 milligrams of Motrin, and if it's still bothering you this weekend, come back and see the duty corpsman. Yeah. Drink water, change your socks. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Oh, but but the socks are on my foot that's dangling by a piece of flesh. Yeah, well, the Motrin will fix that, and yeah. then the socks, well, they'll keep it on there. So, you know, it, it's a, um, <laughs> when you hear that quote, like, they just kept telling me to take Motrin, and you realize, oh, yeah, no, that's a military uh, medical facility, but uh, obviously a serious issue where they leave something, a needle stuck in somebody's back. And again, at, while I was there, that hospital was a clown show, and that's a decade and a half ago almost. Guess what? Still a clown show. Yep. It's a notoriously, uh, it's a notorious place where, again, they keep bringing, they keep firing the commanding officers, bringing in new ones, bringing in specialists, consultants. Nothing makes a difference. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just, uh, I mean, military, some, some military doctors and dentists and stuff are great. Some of them aren't so great. Yeah, I had, it's, uh, a, it's a bit of a crapshoot. There's also the, the issue. I remember when I was up in Iceland having uh, uh, wisdom teeth pulled out the de there were like two dentists up there there was a young one who did most of the stuff and then there was a captain who you know navy captain so the equivalent of a, equivalent of a colonel in all the other services who didn't do much but had to do a certain number of things like each year to validate why he was even there and blah 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 so he does my wisdom teeth and halfway through pulling one of them out i hear it cracking sound and then him going uh-oh <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I mean, uh oh, I got my mouth all numbed up. When you hear a dentist, you hear a bone cracking and a dentist saying, uh oh, and then you hear him whispering to like, I don't think that's supposed to happen to the dental technician. And what it was, was there was, uh, you know, he pulled on it wrong in the wisdom tooth, like the root snapped off, which meant they then had to slice open my gums and go in and pull out the, the root separately and all that stuff. So not a huge deal. Made my recovery time take a little bit longer. Yeah, I won't go into the details, but I once had an army doctor look at me and say the three words you never want to hear a doctor say, oh my God. Oh boy. Oh my God is not what you want to hear from any doctor at any time. Here's one thing that you do want to hear. And that is that a 98 year old world war II veteran and veteran of the first army 
was honored at a public event Wednesday in Olive Hill, Kentucky. Served with First Army from D-Day in 1944 until the final day of the war. Awarded five bronze stars for his actions, according to a First Army press release. And, uh, you know, basically they started looking at it and First Army's commanding general said, we'll never forget what men like Jack Baker did for us. Consul General of France in Chicago, Guillaume Lacroix. Oh my goodness, is that the most French name you've ever heard? <laughs> Guillaume Lacroix attended the event and presented Baker with the French Legion of Honor, the highest French military award. So congratulations and well-deserved to Jack Baker, first army veteran again from D-Day until the last day of the conflict. So essentially the entirety of the war in Europe for the United States. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't, don't realize is that most people who came in, most people who were in the, uh, in the military during world war II were in it for the duration of the war. They were in it from D day until things ended. You, you may have gone home for leave for a little bit, but there weren't really deployments. It's just, you went over there and you were there. That's what it was. You stayed there when you watch uh, uh, band of brothers on uh, HBO. If you haven't watched it, you really should. That whole group, Easy Company, those guys were together for the duration of the war. Parachuted into Normandy, fought Operation Market Guard, and worked their way all the way across Battle of the Bulge into Germany, liberated the, uh, the, the concentration camps that were over there. I mean, this was not a one-year deployment and then go home and then go back out for a year and then go home. Uh, all these... Uh, uh, the way that the way that it works today, uh, you know, we have it better in many ways than the vets back then from back then in that generation did. And this one, 98 year old first army veteran, World War Two vet D-Day through completion of World War Two. Jack Baker presented with the French Legion of Honor by Guillaume Lacroix the French consul in Chicago. So again, just a great story and great to see that he's getting uh, even more recognition for what he's done uh, during his time in the military. Oh boy, you are listening to the morning briefing here on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com, connecting vets every day. There's a Navy vet running for Congress, and this is an interesting one, and you can go to Connecting Vets' Facebook page to voice your opinions on it. Josh Butner, he's a former Navy SEAL. He's running for Congress out in California, and some people are upset at him, and some people agree with him after he said it should be a requirement to have served to even run for public office. He made those comments while talking to the voice of San Diego on Sunday. Now, he says, when you look at anybody for any political office, you should look at their past experiences. I served for 23 years. It should be a requirement to have served to even run. Hmm. Now, there are uh, people out there who agree with that. There are people who don't as well. Um, there is a guy named uh, Matt Strabone. He's a Democrat running for San Diego County Accessor recorder and clerk says, what the hell is wrong with you after saying that? He says, I'm open to letting you explain yourself, Josh, but this isn't ancient Sparta. If you meant what you said, that's incredibly troubling. Yeah. You know what? Sparta is not the only place where everybody has to serve. Actually, there are Mr. Strabone modern nations, including Israel, including in the Scandinavian countries where those uh, who would like to be able to participate in society are required to serve in the military as well. So, uh, you know, I don't really have any problem with that. 
that, particularly, you know, if that's what he believes and that's what he thinks people should do, then yeah, he should say that. And if you agree with it, great. If you don't want to vote with him because of that, great. Uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of people who, uh, would agree with him. Now <laughs> I'm looking at a story where, uh, apparently we were unable to find anybody who agrees with him. Um, or did we even look? Hmm. That's the question that I have. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know quite a few people who agree with what he said. There are quite a few people who think that that would be a great idea. Um, of course, there are those who don't, including Amar Kampa. I'm not sure exactly who he is. Uh, let's see. In an attempt to clarify his comments, Butner said in a statement, when I referred to service, I mean some form of national service. National service could consist of the Peace Corps, a similar form of national domestic service, or the military. This sentiment was what is what was meant by JFK when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I'm glad my comment has at least sparked a converse, uh, conversation about the importance of service to our country. Uh, fellow Democrat Amar Kampa. Oh, so Kampa Nahar is... A, uh, another Democrat who's running for that. Butner is also a Democrat. So this is all infighting within the Democrat Party. But uh, again, I don't, I don't see the issue with what he said. He's not saying that this, this is a law. He's saying he, he wishes that it was. And that's fine. He's allowed to think that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, man. It seems like everybody jumps on everybody way too early these days. We're jumping on the morning briefing train. And we have got the VFW coming in right after this. Disabled American veterans after that big Friday show. You're listening to it now. We'll be back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At ConnectingVets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Friday edition here, March 23rd, 2018, getting ready for the weekend. And you know what? While you're sitting at home this weekend looking for stuff to do, looking for stuff to read, can I suggest that you visit ConnectingVets.com to find the very items that you might enjoy the most? Our team at Entracom's ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day through great information, news, entertainment, and so on. And you can find it all at the site, ConnectingVets.com, or by following us on social media. We've got some great stories on there, including, well, we just talked to the VFW about the omnibus spending bill. Yesterday, we talked to AMVETS Executive Director Joe Chinelli. He's not happy. Again, none of the VSOs seem to be. They say what has happened, well, it's not the worst thing ever. However, what could have been could have been one of the best things to ever happen for veterans. You can find out exactly why they think that by visiting ConnectingVets.com and checking out those stories. And again, little click on your phone, tap on your mouse, click on whatever. Yeah, do that at ConnectingVets on social media, at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We've had the pleasure several times now here on The Morning Briefing to talk to the amazing people doing amazing work over at Disabled American Veterans. The DAV is an organization that I originally thought of as just uh, people who got gave veterans rides to VA appointments, which is fantastic, but that's all that I thought that they did. 
after I moved down here and started doing this show and started really looking into it and digging deep, I found out that the DAV is having a number of amazing programs to help all veterans, including especially our disabled veterans. And one of their most impressive programs is their sports clinic program. And their winter sports clinic is taking place. And we have one of the people who is a return participant from that. His name is Mick Dodo, and he is joining us now on the morning briefing. Mick, good morning. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing swell, Eric. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well, man. And I first wanted to talk to you about your service. As I understand it, you decided against joining in the world's fi- you decided against joining the world's finest navy and decided to go into that army place that I've heard so much about. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. When you joined, uh, where you served, and what you did while you were in. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I enlisted um, um, about when I was 19 years old, and uh, that was prior to September 11th. And uh, while I was in training, those incidents happened, and, um, and it really just uh, it changed all of our lives forever, and it really tra- changed the direction of my service. I um, I, I went in and um, um, you know during you know what was a, was perceived peacetime, and then everything kind of got got ramped up really quick. We all we all can kind of um, you know. Um, you know, remember that. Um, I, uh, I was part of the, um, I was trained as an 88 Mike. Um, and then, um, uh, when my unit was getting ready to go over to Iraq in 2003, I was trained up in, um, uh, NBC, um, nuclear biological and chemical warfare, as well as crew serve weapons. And had the opportunity to go over in uh, 2003 for the invasion, stay for a little bit over a year and really, um, um, put in some quality service with some, some of the best men and women that, that I've had the pleasure of meeting in my life. And, of course, serving in the Army over in Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom over there. Mick Dodo uh, is a disabled veteran. So, Mick, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, basically your time leaving the Army, how it came to be that you would leave the Army, and what that transition period was like for you? Um, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was kind of tough. I was a young man. Um, I, uh, when I was in Iraq, we... Um, um, we, we needed to build up these things called gun trucks. So what we basically, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of them, but we had these uh, five tons that we welded armor around and we placed uh, pedestals and ring turrets and, and things like that. So um, we, we made our own convoy security team. So I did that through most of my, most of my time in Iraq. And through that um, um, experience, I cut the seal out of the country, but um, I got to survive a lot of ambushes and IEDs as well, which I guess it's, it's very good that I survived. It, you know, it's, it's right. very positive. Um, you know, a, a lot of the guys that I went out with, you know, we were very lucky. Uh, we all came back with our fingers and our toes and whatnot, but we didn't know about um, things like uh, uh, shock waves and um, how our experiences would kind of um, affect us going forward and how little things can um, turn into big things uh, given a little bit of time. Um, so... It was just, um, it was, it was difficult. Uh, I got, I got injured. Um, a fuel truck rammed us off the road, and uh, um, it was uh, uh, the person driving struggled to maintain control of the vehicle. And I was, I was very hurt, and, and uh, I decided to stay. Um, at that time, we were working with the 10 Special Forces Group doing convoy security operations for them, and, and um, I didn't want the missions to stop, so I decided to stay back at the camp and uh, perform whatever tasks I could until I got better. And um, it was just difficult, uh, you know, uh, it was difficult being injured, but I was, I was glad to have the opportunity to stay in country right. and continue to serve. And when I got out, it was, uh, I was really lucky that uh, the DAV was around and a lot of the older veterans were there to kind of take me by the hand and make sure I was okay. 
You know, that's one of the things that we hear about uh, all of the VSOs, including the DAV, maybe even especially DAV, is that there are the previous generations of warriors that have served you know, prior to us that, that went through the same things we did maybe 40, 50, 20 years before we did. How beneficial was it for you to have the experience of, say, the Vietnam veterans, the Gulf War I veterans who had, had already gone through some similar stuff to what you were going through? How, how much did that benefit you? You know, it benefits me uh, even to this day, every day. Um, you know, I have little challenges um, that, I, that I deal with just like everybody else. And um, it's it's really, you know, it's it's never nice because, you know, I'm not saying misery likes company. But it's um, it's sometimes reassuring to know that I'm not the only one dealing with certain things. And it's nice to have someone that has a little bit of experience that can, that can kind of, before I even say anything, kind of tell me what's going on with myself and, and tell me what they did and what was successful for them. And... Um, you know, I love going back to that well as many times as I can and, and hanging with my brothers and sisters that served and uh, really, you know, taking from their lessons learned and, and you know, and, and giving the opportunity to share, share some things that I have that have been positive for me. And we're speaking with Mick Dodo, who is uh, taking part in the Winter Sports Clinic for DAV. Mick, tell us about that. I mean, there we, one of the things we've heard from uh, those who have uh, been able to benefit from these clinics through DAV is how they kind of thought, you know, when they were injured, when they lost a limb, all the different things that happen uh, to people when they, uh, when they are disabled, that they kind of thought that life would never be the same, that life was kind of over as they knew it. And these clinics have been uh, instrumental in helping them realize not only is life not over, there's, there's new things that you'll be able to pick up and life is going to continue to improve and have things added to it can you tell us how you first came to be involved with the winter sports clinic and what kind of effect they've been able to have on your life um you, you know it's 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 been a i'll start with this the effect it's been a great effect i've i've just uh it's opened me up to a lot of other um you know uh, physical outlets that i didn't know that i i i could do or even were would be interested in which which is great. I'm a physical guy, so it's it's um, it, it is fantastic opportunity. Um, just uh, what I talked to uh, about before uh, the fellowship and the you know going to the well of my brother with my brothers and sister veterans. Um, that's a great place for it. it's a great exchange, and um, and and it really every year I look forward to going. I've been going four or five years or so. And I don't you know my memory's not the sharpest. Um, every every year I go, it just recharges my battery. And you know they they there's a saying or, or there's a little slogan that says miracles on the mountain, and and you see miracles. You see people. You see blind a blind guy skiing. Um, you see, it scares the heck out of a dog. <laughs> just, just, just kidding, just kidding. But uh, but you know, you see all these ad- adaptive sports and, and 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 just ways that the really talented and creative um, occupational therapists and physical therapists and kinesiologists and all those fine folks at the VAs and volunteers can just make um, uh, physical activity and re- outdoor recreation possible for people that you wouldn't you wouldn't think could do things. Um, it's 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 great being out there um i you know i have like i said i have all my fingers and toes but you know i i see these guys with their adaptive gear and they're just they're just flying down the mountain having a great time and 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 you know i know i'm speaking for myself and for my some of my friends it's it's the some of the it's some of the best times we have all year and of course the national disabled veterans winter sports clinic co-hosted by dav and the department of veterans affairs takes place april 1st to 6th of 2018 in snowmass village colorado you know when you first got involved with it what were you expecting from this winter sports clinic and and did it did it was it something totally different from what you expected did it exceed your expectations uh, tell us about that first time going out there and taking part in this 
Well, the first time you're doing anything, um, at least for me, I was, I was a little nervous. And it was a VA event. I, I knew it was co-sponsored uh, by VA and DAV, but I was afraid that it was going to be more of like a, uh, um, a clinical experience um, where I was just going to feel more like a like an inpatient, but I'd be in a beautiful scenic snow mass Colorado. Um, that wasn't that wasn't the case at all. Um, it was just uh, everybody was was there just to be to be helpful, and you know I, I felt that I had the you know freedom to experience a bunch of different things, but you know like the, the safety of the VA there in case there's um, you know in case there's any medical incidences or I need help with any kind of adaptive equipment or or, or anything could come up. So it was it it was it was really it was really interesting. It really exceeded my expectations. I, I didn't think the VA could work. Uh, um, could work, work work like this in a program like this, I guess. And it is something that has, you know, several participants taking place every year, volunteers that are out there. Um, is it is it more of a, you know, everybody's out there and they're just constantly wanting to get out on the slopes and take part in everything that's going on with the athletics out there? Or is it as much also just a, a camaraderie and a, and a social event for you? I mean, how, how does it break down when you get out there? Gosh, you know, for me, it's a lot of things, but, you know, the, the folks that organize it, um, it's a huge organized effort. It's not just the physical stuff, um, you know, uh, you know, which, which is downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, curling, uh, kayaking, scuba diving. Um, uh, gosh, uh, there's so, so many more. Uh, I just, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. But there's also workshops. I, I, I went to a, a workshop with a few other veterans and some VA employees about how to survive an avalanche. Uh, there's workshops for um, caregivers support there's workshops for for tbi uh, you know, uh, um, uh veterans dealing with tbi issues there's there's all sorts of they, the the organizers build in all these these kind of groups a group of experiences for the veterans and for the volunteers and for the va staff and it it, it makes for really really great experience you know um I, I get to come in contact with all sorts of folks i, I never would i i was I was able to, to hang out with a very lovely um, uh, woman. She was a principal of, uh, at Booz Allen Hamilton, who's one of the, the gracious sponsors. And I got, to, I got to hear a little bit about her life. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to have these experiences if it wasn't for you know, the way the VA organized and the, and the DAV organized this, this great event. Right, and we're speaking with Mick Dodo, who's participated uh, four times, I believe you said, in the Winter Sports Clinic, co-hosted by the Department of Veterans Affairs and Disabled American Veterans, where you have curling, you have skiing. I'm partial to the curling as a former curler myself, and my mother being heavily involved in the world of curling. But, you know, Mick, were winter sports a part of your life prior to your joining the service or even prior to going out to the clinic out there? No, not really. I'm, I'm I'm from South Jersey. We don't have too many hills. It's uh, the Pine Barrens. It's very it's very pancake flat. So uh, I didn't really have too many opportunities to to get out on the mountain. And when I did, it was um, it, it was maybe you know when I was when I was much younger, organized for a church, and um, you know really didn't know what I was doing. So I was just falling down a hill, I guess. Right. And is that where you're living now? I mean, did you go back home to Jersey, or where did you end up after you got out of the army? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I, um, I went back to I went back to New Jersey. I'm, I'm living in my new hometown of, of Hamilton, New Jersey. It's actually the blueberry capital of the world. Oh wow! I did not yeah. know that. See, and my my mother's family is from Clinton, Connecticut, the bluefish capital of the world. So you've got blueberries. I've got bluefish. We've got it all covered. And just so you know, there is a curling yeah. club in New Jersey as well as one down in Philadelphia. If you're closer to oh, there, yeah? there's one, Plainfield, New Jersey, as well as uh, Philadelphia has a curling club also. So yeah, you know that's something that you may want. 
want to think about for the future. Uh, <laughs> My wife would expect cleaner floors. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> when it comes to taking part in the Winter Sports Clinic, did that kind of uh, jumpstart you on taking part in these outside of the clinic? I mean, I've seen pictures of you skiing out at the actual Winter Sports Clinic. Uh, is it something that has also become a part of your personal life outside of the clinic, or do you just basically do it for that one week a year? Uh, no, it's it, it's something I try to I try to do four or five times a year. It's it's um, it's you know with the our our, our climate um, you know um, um, you know acting at how it's acting. It's it's difficult to um, sometimes get the ski weather in the year. But we're going skiing this weekend and um, in the Pocono Mountains. And um, you know I, I I very much I love it. I love it. You know I I um, I just whiz down that mountain. I have a great time and um, it's just I feel so free when I'm on the mountain. I never would have never would have. Uh, had the opportunity to experience it if it wasn't for the sports clinic. When it comes to those vets out there who are dealing with uh, the variety of disabilities that there are, from those who uh, have given uh, part of their physical body to those who have given some of uh, their soul, of course, uh, and, and what's going on in their heads, how important do you think it is that they are made aware of programs like this and the fact that getting out and getting active is, for one, not impossible. It's not something that's now in the past. It's something that can be in your present and your future as well. Uh, but also just to know that there are groups out there working to, to try and help them and try and help them succeed and thrive after they leave the military. How important do you think that is? I, th- I think it's extremely important, but um, you know we're, we're a little bit of a stubborn group, and uh, we all got to kind of... Um, come out on our own at our own pace and our own time we all have different needs and it's uh it's it's tough i got a lot of buddies that i know could really benefit from the winter sports clinic the summer sports clinic and a lot of other great programs out there and um and for whatever reason i i don't know if it's pride i don't know quite what it is but they just it's really tough getting them to take that first step but once you take that first step it's it puts you on a really really healthy path and that is the key, isn't it, to just getting started? I mean, when you got started on getting more active and taking part in these things and going out and being with your fellow vets and, and kind of working through everything together, was the biggest step the first step, and did things just gradually get easier and more natural from there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, it was funny. My first experience with the my local veterans was at the DAV. I, we had a little chapter hall, and it was um, – I didn't know if anybody was there or not because it kind of looked in disrepair. So I decided to go in one of the meetings, and um, there was only maybe four or five, five folks there, uh, veterans there. And um, you know, I took I took that one step just going into the meeting, and next thing you know, um, you know, I'm in a position, I'm on, I'm on a board position, I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> I'm helping them run the club. It's uh, and and you know, next you know, then I'm at a, at a winter sports clinic, and I'm doing all sorts of stuff, and. Um, I got this this really great group of guys and gals that just we just support each other in my community and it's it's great and it just started with just stepping in stepping in the door and saying hello. When it comes to the Winter Sports Clinic itself, and you've talked about the camaraderie and the friendships and the bonds that you've formed while you're out there, uh, again, kind of a similar question to whether you've uh, gotten involved in the winter sports outside of the Winter Sports Clinic. Has there has have those friendships been maintained? I mean, is it just you go out, you meet somebody for a week, and then you go your separate ways? Or, as I imagine it is probably the case, are these people that you've kept in touch with and formed a lasting bond with? You know, um, it's a little bit of A, a little bit of B, um, and, and, and I, I don't think it's wrong to have a great time with someone and, uh, you know, and, and, and even, um, you know, share a lot of uh, profound uh, things and then, you know, not really keep that relationship going. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but um, I, I think, um, and a lot of that does happen, 
but I, I, there's a lot of folks that I, uh, I've met and I, I keep in contact with all over the country. It's a little tough. I'm not on Facebook, so they, they end up Facebook uh, messaging my wife and things like that. So she'll be, she'll be more the one to keep up on that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's, um, there's a couple of vets that we're, you know, uh, we're going to try to call up and see if they want to go skiing this Sunday. In fact, you know, it's a good group of, good group of people you can meet. And that's one of the biggest things also that we've talked to uh, our fellow veterans who are disabled who have had issues in the past where they just kind of like went into a shell and they were kind of by themselves. They might have interacted with family a little bit, their old friends a little bit. But uh, just taking that first step and getting involved with some program that kind of uh, pushes them to socialize and work alongside their fellow veterans who have gone through similar things and may may understand a bit more than the average person on those items. I mean, that, that is, that's been huge and life-saving to some of them. How would you say it's been for you? Uh, I would, I would, I would say right on par with everybody else. Um, you know, I, I, um, I'm, you know, nobody wants to hear a slob sob story, but you know, if, if it wasn't for the, you know, the, the support and the camaraderie that I had, God, who knows, you know, who, who really knows, um, what would have happened. But I, I definitely know that I wouldn't be in the place, which I think is a good place, the place where I am today, if it wasn't, wasn't for the DAV. And if people want to find out more about the DAV and more about the Winter Sports Clinic specifically, do you know where they can go to do that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty straightforward. If you just type in like 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 National or the Winter Sports Clinic or something like that in the search bar, it'll pop right up. Or DAV Winter Sports Clinic will pop up. And I think the website is is something simple like DAVWinterSportsClinic.org or something. It's, yeah, the it's, actual it's, really, site, it's really easy. The actual site for the clinic is WinterSportsClinic.org. If you go to the DAV oh, wow. site, you'll also see links to that. And again, this is taking part April 1st to 6th, 2018 in Snowmass Village, Colorado. And if you're interested in finding out more about it, volunteering, sponsoring, donating, or participating in future events like this, you can go and check it out, wintersportsclinic.org. We've been speaking to Army vet Mick Dodo about his experiences with the Winter Sports Clinic after uh, you know dealing with some trauma while he was over in Iraq and finding uh, some, some answers and finding some solace alongside his fellow veterans out there in the scenic setting of Snowmass Village, Colorado, where you know, vets are able to take part in an amazing amount of uh, sports, including one of my favorites, of course, curling. <laughs> That's one of everybody's favorites. So, you know, Mick, in closing, essentially, if there was one message you could give to a disabled veteran out there who's struggling, who may be thinking of getting involved in something like the Winter Sports Clinic or something similar or something else that might uh, get them moving in the right direction, what would you say to someone who's out there thinking about taking that first step? You know, I would say I would say try it out. Um, you know, just you can you can always you can always step back. Um, and the DAV, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of chapters, a lot of states and a lot of local VA programs, they sponsor the a participant's first year. So if this is something that interests any of your listeners, I, I think, um, just to give it a shot and, 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 and benefit from, you know, the program for one year at, at no expense to yourself might, might be, uh, might be a great opportunity just to, just to get out of your shell. And if you don't like it, you just you step back. No big deal. There you go. And as you said, no expense to yourself. This is co-hosted and sponsored by DAV, Department of Veterans Affairs. There are those who donate and those who sponsor it. And essentially everyone who goes out there to take part in the Winter Sports Clinic is able to do so free of charge. So really just a win-win proposal, I think. And like you said, if it's not for you, hey, at least you gave it a try out there. And giving it a try is often all you need. And you know what? I think when it comes to doing... um, 
uh, fun things like going out skiing. I think even those who haven't been skiing before, once you get the hang of it, once you figure it out, it's the kind of thing that I think most people would enjoy. And it certainly seems with four trips now to the Winter Sports Clinic under his belt, Mick Dodo is certainly one of those. Mick, we want to thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing today. And I know you're headed out there in about a week or so to take part in another Winter Sports Clinic. We want to wish you the best of luck and uh, hope you have fun out on the, uh, on the snow out there. Yes, sir. Eric, thank you, sir. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. It's been our pleasure indeed. And you're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. It appears there was a little bit of a miscommunication with Rudy Reyes. We are going to have him on next week. Uh, so that's why that one, even though we promoted it, didn't happen today. For those of you not familiar with Rudy Reyes, Rudy played himself in the HBO miniseries Generation Kill that was based on a Rolling Stone reporter's embed with a Marine Corps unit that was one of the first on the ground, recon Marines that went into Iraq. Rudy Reyes was a member of the actual unit that the actual journalist was with when he embedded and wrote the book based on. And essentially they said, there's no actor that can portray Rudy Reyes properly other than Rudy Reyes, who had kind of started to get his feet wet in acting a little bit. From there, he ju- he's gone on to do some amazing stuff and really to use that voice and that, uh, that face, because my goodness, maybe, maybe the best looking Marine that there's ever been. I don't know. I just don't know, but he's certainly in the running for that title. And uh, he would go on to do modeling and acting and all that stuff. Well, what he's doing right now is using his love of diving to bring attention to a very serious issue around the world, and that is the disappearance and the death of coral reefs due to bleaching in the water, due to pollution, due to other things. And what he's dealing with right now is specifically the reefs down in Puerto Rico that were drastically affected by the hurricane that devastated the island of Puerto Rico, a United States territory and one that kind of gets short shrift from a lot of people and gets forgotten. And, you know, if you go look now, there's some recovery taking place down there, but there's still a long way to go above the water. And there's not a lot of people focusing on what's happening below that water line. Rudy Reyes is one of them. So we're going to talk to him next week about his experiences in Hollywood, as well as his experiences in the water and how diving, something he did as a combat trained diver in the Marine Corps, It went from being a job, and let me tell you, Navy divers and Marine Corps divers, it's not the fun kind of diving that I was used to out in Guam where I was swimming with sea turtles and checking out sharks and fish and all that stuff. No, it's them bringing a ton of gear down into the water and not really having a lot of fun with it and just dealing in the dark oftentimes. When he got into recreational diving, it opened up a new world to him. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that you'll hear a lot of people say. It's a bit of a cliche, but it opened up a new world for him going under the water. And it's something that he doesn't want to lose. So that's why he's so involved in that. And again, Rudy will be joining us next week. And next week's going to be a big one. We're going to have Eric Mitchell, founder of Life Flip Media. CEO of Life Flip Media as well. He's going to be in town for the Hillvets 100 Gala that's taking place next week. He's going to join us on the show. It's looking like Matt Griff Griffin of Combat Flip Flops. He's going to be in studio with us. We've got so much planned for next week. It's going to be a big one, and that's why I need you to stay safe this weekend so that you can be here with us to enjoy all the great programming we have coming next week right here on The Morning Briefing. For myself, Jake Hughes, and the rest of the ConnectingVets.com team, have a great time. Have a great weekend. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 